This is the Wednesday, May 26th edition of the Daily Wager Podcast. We've got you covered with NBA plays on all three playoff games tonight and a little cherry on top with some WNBA action. Welcome to the Daily Wager Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. I'm Doug Kazarian, joined by Joe Fortenball. Joe, we did well yesterday. We were split on the one game. That was a stunner, so that's good. Tyler was all over the Mavs plus the points. No one thought they'd win, but uh, Clipper debacle once again. Clippers are a mess. They're an absolute mess. I mean, all you know what? That's the problem with society. It should really be a focus on go Dallas, fantastic effort, and yet I immediately skew negative. So there you go. It shows you where my head's at as we start the morning, but the Clippers, man, for all the people who thought they were going to possibly make a run this year, possibly break through, shocking yet again to see them folding up shop in the playoffs. You know, in a span of 24 hours, everyone's ready to write off the Lakers, maybe even including myself, and now they're like, oh my gosh, the path is open, wide wide open for the Lakers <laughs> to make another run to the finals. Uh, just all the injuries and the way things are, uh, the domino effect, so to speak, of what's going on in the West, but Let's talk about tonight's slate. I want to talk about the Knicks game first. We will not go in chronological order, but such an epic uh, crowd on Sunday. Trey Young with the game winner. Really exciting game that lived up to the hype. I am actually going to take the Knicks, but it's not like a monster double fisting at the counter play. I expect <laughs> them I expect them to, like the 50-50 balls, the role players, kind of like everything Denver did in game two and a little bit of relaxation and complacency on Atlanta's end because they played so well, and I expect Randall to play better, so I got to lay the short number with New York. If I was playing the side, I would be doing the exact same thing. I'm going to play the total here. It's 212.5. I'm going to bet the over. It was sitting around 215, 215.5 for game one. They scored 212 points. Now, that's despite the fact that both teams shot below their season average from three-point range. Atlanta was just slightly below, so that's fairly worth mentioning. But the Knicks were a pretty good three-point shooting team during the season, 39%. They only shot 33% in that game. So when we're talking about getting to 213 points to cover this over, that's something we need to mention. We also have to look at the fact that from a free-throw perspective, I know at the end of the game, Trey Young was on the strike quite a bit. Atlanta only took 12 free-throws the entire game. They averaged 24 per game during the regular season. Similar situation with New York, although not much of it's not as much of a discrepancy. 15 free throws in game one when they average 21 per game during the regular season. So if both teams shoot a little bit better from deep, which is to be expected, both teams get a few more trips to the free throw line, we should be able to push this one over. In addition, this is one of the key things I want to focus on. We've seen five game twos so far in the playoffs. Four of them have seen a higher score in game two than they did in game one. And not by a little bit, by an average of 27 more points per game. The only game two that saw a scoring drop was the Portland-Denver game two, and they still had damn near 240 points on the board. I think as these teams get adjusted to one another, they find more success on offense than they do defense. We saw it in the Lakers-Suns game. I'm going to go ahead and play over 212 and a half Knicks Hawks. All right, I was on the under on a live bet in the second half as well on Sunday and got a lot, a lot of points down the stretch. It was, it was like a 70-point oh, yeah. fourth quarter. I was, I was going nuts, but uh, – you know, it's hard to imagine them starting any slower than they did on Sunday with a really low-scoring first quarter. Anyways, let's go to another game in the East, and we'll do Wizards-Sixers. And it's fascinating because usually we see a game one blowout by the higher-seeded team, and then everyone kind of assumes it's going to happen again, and you get a nice cover, maybe even a win by the lower-seeded team. But we, we didn't get that at all, like a wire-to-wire -wire blowout in game one. Like, yes, the Nets did 
cover the big number, but they were trailing at halftime. Yes, the Sixers got a convincing win, so to speak, but not like we usually see. And then the Jazz, obviously, and everything in the West. So um, I'm curious to see how you feel this game will play out in the Wizards, uh, Wizards-Sixers game. I'm going to lay the eight with Philadelphia, right? I, I think Washington put on a tremendous effort in game one. Tremendous effort. And they've been rock solid the last six weeks of the season. But Philly still won that game by seven, despite losing the turnover battle by four and watching the Wizards shoot 56% from the floor. That was Washington's fifth best shooting performance in 75 games this season. As we know, Philadelphia is a very good team defensively, second in defensive rating, sixth in points allowed. I think that's where the key adjustments are going to be made for Doc Rivers and the Sixers. Washington gave them all they could handle in the first half, as you mentioned. I think Philadelphia is going to fire off better here. I think they're going to make the necessary defensive adjustments. And even after looking not so great against the great Washington effort in game one, they still won that by seven. I think ultimately the adjustments are the difference, similar to what you just mentioned, what we saw with Brooklyn and Boston in game two. Brooklyn win game wins game one and then flexes their muscle in game two. Philly wins game one. I see them flexing their muscle here in game two. It certainly wouldn't surprise me. It's taken everything in my power not to bet Washington plus eight. I'm a little worried of it playing out exactly like you described, but I, I like the over again here. They hit 243 in game one. Uh, the total was 227 and a half. It's 230 and a half, but I still like it because I think Washington's best chance in this game is to score early in the shot clock. The last thing they want to do is score. Uh, or try to score, I should say, in the half-court set against that outstanding Philly defense and all the length, and and just that's a nightmare for them. So the, the, for them, it's transition, Westbrook's relentless attack, and then Washington just gives up a million points to a Philly team that's really um, you know solid offensively. So for me, I'm going to go over because I think it's going to be an up and down. I'd probably start first half over and go from there. But uh, yeah, that that's how I see this this game playing out. We'll wrap things up with... This Jazz number is trickling up, which I kind of anticipated. We saw the Clippers lay an egg in this must-win, quote-unquote, after dropping game one. It's really remarkable, the stats over the last 10 years in the playoffs. Teams that lose game one as a favorite of at least five points are like dominant ATS the next game, right? Like you would think, but the Clippers not only didn't cover, but lost outright. We're, we're at nine now with the Jazz, some nine-and-a-halves out there. How... uh I like Utah. I have to lay it. Just all signs point to it. Everything just sort of habitual NBA playoff sort of, I don't want to use the word zigzags. I don't think it fits that criterion, but just something along those lines. Like you get Utah's best performance and go from there. How are you playing this game? I'd play them full game, but the one I love the most is just Utah in the first half, right? You're down 0-1 to, and you're at home and you're playing the eighth seed in the Western Conference. I think the way that first game played out, combined with the fact that Donovan Mitchell didn't play and then, you know, was very outspoken afterwards that he wanted to play in that game. I think you're going to get a Utah team that just fires from the gates. Now we haven't seen Mitchell in a while. So there's some risk here with chemistry issues, some rust, all that stuff. But I think if you're Memphis and you had to go through the play in tournament and you got game one against Utah, I'm not saying they're actively going to take their foot off the gas here, but mentally this is a huge win to have stolen game one on the road, right? A huge win. Meanwhile, if you're Utah, to put together that season, number one seed, and lose that game with Mitchell coming back, I really think they're going to fire from the gates. Now, this is a team that's been a very good first-half team all year. Number one in first-half scoring differential at plus five. Number one in first-half scoring differential at home, 
plus 7.4. Memphis is just below league average. They're 17th in first half scoring differential. But again, they had a lot of injuries early in the year. They had a COVID situation late in January. So read into that what you will. Game one, Utah wasn't very good from the field, just 42%. They shot 25% from deep. This is a team that shot 39% from deep during the regular season. They shoot 25% in game one. We get some positive regression from the three-point line, plus this team firing from the gate. I love the idea of laying five and a half with the Jazz in the first half. That probably is going to end up being one of my best bets tonight. Okay, yeah. I mean, look, the, the players said it after the game. Now, was it a little bit of crying over spilled milk? Maybe. But they were saying how they were ready for Mitchell's return, and then it was just sort of a shot to the system, um, you know, jolt to the system, I should say, just not having him out there. It was real confusion the hours leading up to the game. So kind of a funky game for them and how it all played out. One little bonus play. I like the Aces minus six at Phoenix. No Tarasi. She's out for a month. I don't see this being a close game. I was hoping for a shorter number to make it a big play, but I think it's still enough to get to be a play, even lane six on the road with uh, what should be the best team in the uh, WNBA this year. I love it. Squeezing in the WNBA at the buzzer as only Doug Kazarian could. That was just yeah, well a little done, two and oh yesterday on the pod. Yes. Dog of the day. Atlanta dream with the outright win. That was just a stupid line. Um, yeah. Sometimes that happens. And it was a, it was with an injury, right? Like no Candace Parker. So we're going to go no Tarasi and fade the mercury here. Although they do have Griner. She's going to step up. You would think she's been underperforming so far this year. And obviously Diggins as well. All right, uh, that'll do it. We'll be back tomorrow. But, of course, we have Daily Wager tonight and tomorrow, 6 Eastern on ESPN2. Joe, I will see you at the studio. My man.